Tandem Nomads replay of episode 21. This episode is replayed during the holiday season of 2017 and this is why I wanted to bring to you during these festive but also hectic times of going back home visiting families and friends and traveling I thought that in order to do make the best out of your holidays you want you might want to have an episode around the theme of mindfulness so our guest today is a specialist in mindfulness she will share with you her story how she she gave up her career to move from a country to another and built her portable practice as a coach in mindfulness. So she helps um, expat partners, expats in general, and parents, and expat parents in particular, um, go through the challenges of moving from a country to another with the practice of mindfulness. I hope that you will enjoy this episode and I would like to use this opportunity to wish you very happy holidays and all the best for the year that's coming, 2018. At the time this episode is aired online, I will hope that it will be full of great moments, precious moments, health and great successes with your portable business. That's something I remember even now as we move and we have changes and we have difficult things that come up is that we're still breathing, you know, <laughs> and most of the time we're more than breathing, right? Most of the time life is really great, but when things are up, you know, we're still breathing. Welcome to Tandem Nomads, the podcast show designed to help expat partners turn their dual career challenges into a successful portable business and thrive in their global nomadic life. To download your free guidebook on the six steps to build a successful portable business, go to Tandem Nomads. Hello, Nomad Nation. This is Emel Deregi, and today I'm very happy to introduce you to Jody Harris. Jody, are you ready for the ride? Yes, I am. Jody is American, grew up in Texas, Austin. Since then, she has been living in Madagascar, Washington, D.C., and today she lives in Japan with her husband and three kids. Jody graduated from her master's in social work and started her career as a clinical social worker. She uh, provided counseling and psychotherapy to immigrants in the U.S. When her husband got his first job abroad, um, she was pretty sure that she would easily easily be able to convert her skills to the countries where they would be going to. It turned out to not be that easy, but Jody took the time to define her strength and reflect on herself. By the end of her first year in Madagascar, she started her coaching business called World Tree Coaching that she has been taking with her everywhere else um, since. So Jody, this was a very short uh, introduction of what you have been doing so far. What is happening today in your world and is there anything I missed from your bio? No, I don't think you missed anything. Thank you for the introduction. And um, yeah, so now we are living in Yokohama, Japan. We've been here since August. Uh, this is actually our second time living in Japan. My husband and I first lived in Japan in 1999 and 2000, uh, back before we had kids and we were teaching English. Uh, so now we're back here uh, for my husband's job and he's doing some training right now and then we'll move into his um, regular position next summer. And we are loving it here. We're loving the opportunity to get to share Japan with our kids because it was such we were living in Japan when we got married, so it's such an important part of our initial part of our relationship. So 
Oh, we're happy to be here now and, and sharing it with our kids and, and kind of getting to know the country again. This is wonderful. So can you take us through like all the moves you did since uh, you left uh, Austin? <laughs> sure. It's such a crazy ride. Um, you know, we, we've actually spent much of the last 20 years abroad. And so I studied in Spain um, when um, I was in college and my husband had worked in the UK for a little while. And then when we first met, we taught English in Japan and then we traveled some and we both did some of our graduate research in Belfast, Northern Ireland. Um, but we began this phase of our journey where we were moving around for my husband's work in 2009 when he got a job with the U.S. Department of State as a, as a foreign service officer, as a diplomat. Um, and we moved first to the Dominican Republic and our children, our boys at the time were three and one. And we were there for a couple years. And then, uh, we went back to Washington DC for, uh, about six months and our daughter was born there. And then we moved to Madagascar and we were there about two years, just shy of two years. And then, back in D.C. for a little while with a brief stop in Texas, mm -hmm. <laughs> and then now back to Japan. And we anticipate being here uh, for possibly five, but probably four years total. Wonderful. Yeah. So how was it for you the first time when you had to make this decision to, to quit your job and join your husband in this exciting journey? Uh, <laughs> how was the process for you to make this decision? Right. Easy. <laughs> Good. <laughs> But I was naive. I, um, you know, I, my husband and I, when we met, you know, I had kind of made that. I was so young when we met. I was 21 and he was 24. And when we met, before I met him, I had kind of made the decision that if I, I always wanted a world of international travel. And I had made the decision that if I wanted to live like that, if I wanted to go from place to place and experience different countries and cultures, that I would be doing that on my own. And even, you know, the the guy that I had been dating in college told me that he was like, well, have fun, but I'll never go with you, <laughs> which was a good thing because he didn't turn out to be the right person for me. But, you know, and then when I met my husband and he, you know, within a few days of meeting him and he shared kind of his interest in international travel and the time that he'd spent abroad. And in a lot of ways it was like coming home to someone who really understood how important that was and how it wasn't just a choice. It was something I have always felt called to do. And so, you know, we really decided that as a couple, um, we would try to, to be abroad, to live abroad and to work abroad. And so, you know, when he got the job with the state department, that was something that we had been hoping for, um, And he really was interested in the position. And I felt that my career was really flexible and I could do it anywhere. And so I remember perfectly the day he called me when he said, when he had got the offer to begin training, I had just, I was working at a family therapy center and I wasn't completely satisfied with the job. I didn't feel like it was a really good fit for me, but I had given this presentation to my colleagues and I felt like it went horribly <laughs> And then I walked outside. I remember it was February. It was cold. I was walking home and my husband called me and he said, I, I got the call and I'm going and we're going to Washington, D.C. And I was so happy, you know, 
um, because it was something, it was a dream that we shared. It was something we wanted to do together. Now that yeah. you're, you're abroad, and I'm sure that in the diplomatic circle, you meet a lot of people, have a lot of networking <laughs> events. If mm -hmm. somebody asks you, what do you what? do? So how do you answer in 10 seconds? I, I say I'm a coach and I work with expats and to help them live more from the heart. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, this, this lifestyle can cause you to lose your footing. And, and I support people in, in finding that. And then for making strategies and developing strategies to maintain that footing. Because it wasn't always easy for me, you know. I thought that it would be easy. And then when we went to the Dominican Republic for the first time, I realized it was a lot harder. It was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. So what was difficult about it? I think the most difficult thing was just the loss of the definition of who I thought I was um, and being respected for, you know, I, you know, I was a wife and a mother and we had a house and everything. But what I felt the most respected for was my profession, was my career. And I had my colleagues and people who knew me and, and I didn't realize how much, how important defining myself by that was. And so when I had to give it up, I remember driving in the car one day, we had probably been in the Dominican Republic a few months and just crying to my husband saying, I don't bake bread, <laughs> <laughs> but all I had been doing for like a week was figuring out how to make the best tortillas like you know being from texas we need we eat a lot of tacos <laughs> i was always practicing making tortillas and they would fail and one time i made them and this guy told me this tastes like pita bread and i was just like but this isn't what i do <laughs> and um so, so you know. how did you go through that phase how did you you were trying to basically build your identity outside the household and and right. um, build a source of accomplishment for yourself and fulfillment how mm -hmm. did you manage to to make that switch mm -hmm. you know i i think i really in in the end lucked out in the dominican republic i i was looking for work and i happened to see a position that was listed with the peace corps and the job description was perfect for me. And in fact, in many ways, it was, it was my dream job. I would be working as a program coordinator, working with um, Peace Corps volunteers who had social work training in the U.S., either bachelor's degrees or master's degrees in social work, and supervising them and providing trainings for them and their colleagues uh, in their organizations out in the community. And it was, a, it was, I applied for it, and it was a local hire position. So it meant, you know, making a lot less money than I had been accustomed to making. Not that I ever made a lot, but it was, it was a significant pay cut. Mm -hmm. Um, but it enabled me to say, this is what I do. And not only this is what I do, but within my field. And that was something that definitely became important to me because I didn't go to get a master's in social work on a whim. I went because I believed in the work. I believe in the perspective of social work. And I love, you know, providing space for people to share their stories and to grow and to gain insight. And, and so being able to find a position, even if it wasn't exactly what I had initially envisioned doing, but a, a position that I could love was became really important. And, and I found that there. And I and I was able to have that job for the most of the time that we were in the Dominican Republic. You were talking about your pay cut. Was it a, an important factor, the financial part for you? 
Or was no. it more was it more the fact that you wanted to do something you loved? It was more the fact that I wanted to do something that I love. And and I actually at, at that opportunity had another position that I could have taken in the embassy that it was available that would have paid much more, but wasn't something that was really what I believed in. Yeah, it would have been a fine job, right? But it wasn't what I was meant to do. So, you know, it's one of those things I think you learn in this lifestyle, particularly if you're the trailing spouse. It's it's not to minimize the significance of, of earning an income, right? I mean, I certainly think like, oh, I have three kids. Are we going to have enough money for their college or whatever? But at the same time, I felt we were in a financial position because of my husband's job that I could do what really mattered to me and that the money didn't matter mm -hmm. that much. So how did you transition slowly to being a coach today? Right. So uh, after we left the Dominican Republic, um, we were in Washington, D.C., as I mentioned, for several months, and my daughter was born. And one of the things that I realized is that the work that I was doing in the Dominican Republic, although I loved it, I was working, you know, many, many hours in a job that was, I felt was very intense. I, I, it was, it was a lot of work. And I realized when my daughter was born that perhaps in Madagascar, because I'm fluent in Spanish, but my French is m mediocre, <laughs> that it would be harder for me to find work there. And so I did something that was very difficult for me, but I took a year where I promised I wouldn't actively, I wouldn't at all look for work. You know, maybe I would volunteer or explore things, but I, I used it as a year of reflection um, and, and gave myself time to think about what I really wanted to do. And what I realized I really missed was sitting down with someone across from them and, and you know, holding sp space for them to tell, you know, their their journey. I work almost entirely with expats, so a space to share that. And and so with some thinking about how to make that happen, I started reading up on coaching and because I already had the clinical background, it felt like a really nice fit. What yeah. have you been doing besides reading? How because how would you like recommend to other women and men who mm -hmm. are in tandem nomads and who are who are traveling the world with their partners and feel the same need you had, like the one of to like reflect and figure out what they want to do with, while they're having this life? How how did you do it, and how do you recommend to what actions to take when we have to reflect on ourselves? Mm. Oh, that's such a Good question. <laughs> um, you know, for me, it was making a, a conscious decision to slow down and to spend time thinking about and writing about what really mattered most. Um, I've always had a really strong network of friends, for example, and I felt like that because of our moves, I, I wasn't feeling that it was, that that was coming to me in the way that I wanted it to, you know, I wasn't taking the time for friendships that I wanted to. And so I just committed that I was going to make friends. And, and so that's one example, but, you know, exercise was part of that committing each day to doing exercise because that feels good. And I practice meditation. So meditating is, you know, most days. Um, and so that, that all of that put me in this mode of slowing down and savoring. And I think sometimes when you do that, then, then 
you see, you know, you see windows where before you wouldn't have noticed. You took care of yourself, basically. Didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> well said. <laughs> yeah, because it's important. I think with time, especially when we're parents and mothers, it's, mm -hmm. it's sometimes we have a tendency maybe to forget to take care of ourselves. Right. And, yeah, and, uh, and I guess this has helped you to just reflect and take the time to meet with pe people and meditate, do sports. And I think it's very important to have like healthy habits we can take with us in every mm -hmm. country we go to. And I guess exercising, meditating is something you can do anywhere you go, right? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I really believe very strongly in the importance of developing rituals for people in our lifestyle. Um, and you know, that can be exercise, that can be meditation for some people, you know, it can be something as simple as every night before I go to bed, I read for 10 minutes, you know, because those become your touchstones as you, as you move, they become the things that don't change when every single other thing is changing. And we need that. We need that constancy. Exactly. We, our lives are in a lot of changes. We're constantly going mm -hmm. through changes and consistency that we can build within us, I guess, is, is really important, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. So when you travel from a country to another with your family and your husband, and um, how do you support each other when you go through the transitions? You know, in, in, in one word, probably, well, maybe two words, <laughs> love, love and, and patience. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we, we do this thing, you know, particularly before we fly, because with three kids, and we, we tend to, except for the Dominican Republic, we're flying very long distances and you know my husband and I will say to each other we're in this together oh. and it's so easy to get short-tempered you know you're going to miss your flight or so and you know so and so won't pick up his backpack and she's throwing a tantrum or whatever and and we just say we're a team you know we're a team we're in this together Talking of that, as a team, do you have like each of you a specific role when you move in in a new country? And you know, I think a lot of this, you know, it, it has to do with just the nature of my of my husband's work, and there's a lot of um, bureaucracy that goes into <laughs> to our moves. So he tends to take on the role of a lot of the the, the paperwork and the signing and the passports and the scheduling appointments to meet with this person and this person and that person. And my job is creating is, is easily and as quickly as possible, at least initially a, a home space that's comfortable for all of us. Mm. That's actually been something that's been kind of a surprise is I've always enjoyed food and cooking. Um, and I realize when I say this, I feel I run this risk of sounding of a stereotype of, of, you know, a wife in the kitchen cooking, <laughs> but it's become something for me that brings me great joy. Mm -hmm. And the process of finding food for our family has been something that I never thought, you know, I used to just throw something in the oven or, you know, get takeout. Um, but somehow this lifestyle has given me space to become a cook and I enjoy cooking and I can put meals together quickly And it's it's become a way that I I think that with all of the moving that I'm able to nurture our family. Through you've been going through different cultures, different countries, and different faces, and <laughs> a lot of changes. So, is there one moment that you consider as your toughest experience abroad? Yes, when we were in the Dominican Republic. I mean, sorry, in Madagascar, because 
Madagascar is so far and so isolated and the medical care is so limited, especially because my daughter was only two months old when we went. My boys were older, um, but still young. Um, I had this terrible worry that one of us would get sick or hurt there. And I think, you know, I'd been there maybe a week or two when I overheard someone at a party say, oh yeah, don't sever an artery here. You're dead. <laughs> I was just like, oh my God. Don't do what? Sorry. Can you... Don't, don't sever an artery, you know, so don't be in an accident where you cut yourself here. Oh, and, okay. you know, because, because the feeling was, is that the healthcare was so limited. Mm. And so this was a, it was a worry, but it, not something that I ever envisioned would actually happen. Um, but, uh, about a year and a half into our time there, my middle son got very, very sick and, um, he went from being a little under the weather to, to not able to stand or talk or move at all over the course of about 48 hours. Oh, that's just scary. It was, it was, it was by far the most frightening thing I've experienced abroad. And, um, luckily we had a, a very good doctor at the, at the embassy and we called him and even over the phone, he diagnosed him. He said he's, he's in, um, DKA, which is diabetic ketoacidosis. He was, he was an undiagnosed type one diabetic. Oh. And so, um, he and I had to leave Madagascar immediately and, uh, everything. You know, we left my husband and my older son and my daughter and we, um, left everything, our dog and, and we flew to South Africa and, you know, it was something that I never, if I had envisioned, you know, in the couple years before, if I would be able to handle something like that, I would have said, Oh no, you know, I'd be a wreck. Um, but it was actually, you know, it remains to, to this day and forever, you know, the, the biggest learning experience I've had about not just this lifestyle, but, but about life in general. Mm-hmm. What did you learn about it, actually? What um, what was the learning part about this? Because it's it's a, such a strong life experience and stressful. Um, how can you prevent this and learn about it? Right, right. Um, well, you you can't prevent difficult things happening. Sure. First of all, right, and and that's that to me was is a learning experience. You know that you can. You can be careful and you can be mindful and you can be cautious, but you actually have to live. You know, you have to take that vacation. You have to go on that trip. You have to apply for that job. Um, because if not, then you're just at a standstill. And, and so what I worried about was that if something difficult happened while we were abroad, I wouldn't be able to handle it. And I don't know exactly what that meant other than that I would just be a wreck, right? You know, I would be crying or I would be distraught. Mm. And what I found when he got sick, and particularly in, you know, the 12 hours or so before we were able to get an air ambulance to South Africa, was that it suddenly the world became me and him hmm. and just us and it was one breath and then the next breath and then the next breath hmm. and and everything else fell away and 
that's something I remember even now as we move and we have changes and we have difficult things that come up is that we're still breathing, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and most of the time we're more than breathing, right? Most of the time life is really great, but when things are up, you know, we're still breathing. Yeah, definitely. So you went to South Africa and you moved there or how did you manage it? Because concretely, yeah, I'm interested to know when the crisis situation happens like this, uh, how do you go through the process of making the right decisions of where to go, what to do, who to call? Can you take us to that? I think that could be quite helpful for other people who might go through this. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it would be, it's different depending on, you know, different situation, of course, but In our case, um, he and I were evacuated by air ambulance to South Africa, and he went immediately into the hospital in South Africa. And the level of care there was exceptional, you know, comparable to U.S. or Europe or whatever. It was exceptional health care, and um, the doctors knew exactly what they were doing. And so he was in the hospital there for a few days. And then um, my husband and I had to figure out what, to do, (laughs) you know, because he was in Madagascar with our other two children. And so, you know, one option was for us to, for my husband to leave his job in Madagascar and for him to be reassigned to Washington, D.C. And and we would all go back to Washington, D.C. Another option was for my husband to go back with us temporarily and then return to Madagascar and finish out his assignment, which at the time he had another uh, remaining five months. Mm-hmm. Um, and and because my husband had a lot of vacation time, he was actually able to take a month of vacation. And so he accompanied the kids and I back. We went to Austin, where my parents are. We went to Austin, and you know, kind of got things sorted. There's a big learning curve with with type one diabetes. Um, and, and so to just for us all to learn, you know, all of the things we needed to know about his care. And then my husband went back to Madagascar. So we were separated in the end for about three and a half months, mm-hmm. um, which was difficult. But many people do much longer separations in, in much more challenging situations, I think. So for us, it was it became a financial decision. It would have been we felt a, a significant financial burden to be reassigned to Washington, D.C. And also we knew that we were had an ongoing assignment to Japan. So we felt like, you know, this is something we can do. We can spend these few months apart. Mm-hmm. And luckily I had the help of my parents. So okay. I was there with the kids, yeah. And after those three months, you went to Japan? After those three months, we went to Washington, D.C., where oh, my husband okay. did a year of training, and then we went here. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. And so is there, you've been, like, encountering a lot of different cultures than yours. Uh, mm-hmm. Is there one particular moment when you experienced like a a major culture shock or a cultural misunderstanding? Mm. You know, I think the first time that I lived in Japan, when my husband were here and I were here in 1999 and 2000, we were teaching English in the rural area of Japan, was by far the biggest culture shock related experience that I had. I felt like this giant person. I'm not a particularly, I'm not a big person, but I just felt bigger than the space that was provided, you know, louder and taller. And, you know, actually my husband's six, four, so he actually has to duck to go through doorways here. (laughs) And so I just felt I was always wearing the wrong shoes or I was always saying the wrong thing or, 
because I was the youngest woman in the office, I was supposed to make the tea for everyone, but I, I just couldn't bring myself, (laughs) you know, to be the one who made the tea. Um, and I actually think interestingly that that's, that my, our transition process has been smoother now because we had that initial experience with Japan and to kind of address some of the bigger culture, culture shock issues. So how did you get introduced? For example, I like the example of the tea. I mean, this is such an important, like, um, sign of respect in Asia, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the person who, who presents the food or the tea, and the, it, it depends on the countries, but how did you get introduced to the fact that you had to do it? And, and how did you take it at that moment? Right, right. Oh, it's so embarrassing. Well, I, don't, I feel like it's embarrassing because I feel like that, oh, I just wish that, you know, it's one of those things I'm like, I wish I could do it again. But, you know, there, there was a woman who was um, close to my age, but not the youngest woman in the she was the youngest woman in the office and it was her job to serve the tea. But when I came, I became the youngest woman in the office. And so, um, one of the other women pulled me aside and it was a school. We were teachers and pulled me aside and said, you know, Jody sensei, you, you should learn to serve the tea and you can share it with the other teacher. She can do one day and you can do another day. And, and I said, uh, I'm not going to serve the tea. I said, you know, we don't do that in America. You know, people should get their own tea. (laughs) And I just think, you know, (laughs) in retrospect, I, you know, in retrospect, I, I wish I had been more culturally sensitive, but at the time I just, you know, I think it's, it's age and it's, you know, all different things where, you know, I feel, and now I could say, oh, you know, we don't really do that in our country, but I would do it now I think you know I mean I wouldn't be the youngest anymore by far but but I I think I would be more inclined to do it or share the job with someone and then I wasn't yeah that's interesting (laughs) it's a very fun example I find of of misunderstanding you know if if nobody prepares you to that how can you know it you know I I guess that's where experience of traveling brings you this awareness that sometimes some of the things that happen to you in the moment where you react like I know that sometimes somebody would tell me a sentence that would be very shocking for me I would immediately react and I think the more we travel the more we have this uh, moment where we try to reflect on what's happening oh Mm. maybe it's a cultural thing you know right (laughs) yeah awareness comes with experience I guess Right. It's true. Yeah. And I think that in general, expats don't have uh, the luxury of jumping to conclusions, right? We have to go through our mental checklist of like, well, could this be cultural? Could this be linguistic? Could this be, you know, and, 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 and in, those, in, those, in those seconds when we're going through the mental checklist, enough Space and time exists that enable us to to buffer and, and soften our interactions. Yeah. You know, how did you benefit from your experience abroad? Mm. You know, I think oh, in so many ways. <laughs> I I I'm naturally you know the first thing that comes to mind is I'm naturally kind of an impatient person. Um, I I like to move and I like to have things done and I you know I, I I naturally inclined towards go, go, go. Um, and despite a life on the go, you know, when you wake up every day and at least one thing is new, I mean, even if you live in a country for three or four years, at least one thing 
every day is new. Mm-hmm. And so you, you find yourself becoming more, more patient. And I think that that has been a change that I wouldn't have, I would have been much less likely to have happen in my life if I had stayed in one place. Yeah. If you had an advice for, for our listeners who are starting in this nomadic life, uh, what, mm-hmm. what would be your advice to, um, to help them you know, make the best of this experience abroad and reach stability and fulfillment like you had to do when you started your journey? Right. I would say above all else, it's taking time for connection. And, and that's really two-part for me, not, you know, it's the first and obvious, you know, connection to others, you know, take the opportunity. If you meet someone and you, and you feel drawn to them, or you like something that they say, then invite them for coffee. So it's that mutual connection, but it's also connection when it comes to discovering yourself and connecting with what truly feels right and what moves you, and what excites you. Um, and and then to use this experience at every turn, and the freedom it provides as an opportunity to connect mm-hmm. with yourself and with the world around you. Yeah. So for you, it's very important, I guess, to create the connections where you go, make friends, and take the time to, to meet people, have mm-hmm. a drink with them, a cup of tea right. that you might have Absolutely. to serve. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I see. And, and how how you do you have the opportunity to mingle with locals? I do. You know, it depends. Um, you know, on on where we've lived and how easy that is. Japan provides a nice opportunity to do that. Yes, because there's um, you know there's there's more kind of uh, the socioeconomic situation is more comparable to the U.S. and it can be harder to build strong relationships with people of your host country if there's significant gaps in socioeconomic yeah, steps. I, I mean, it's just a fact. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, we do the best to do it in the ways in which we, we can and, you know, make friends where, where we can, regardless of where they're from. A lot of times our best friends become other expats from countries we've never been to. <laughs> <laughs> so before we say goodbye, I'd love to go through this spinning round with you. Do you know what's oh, the spinning okay. round? Yes, I've heard it on the other ones, <laughs> but good. I can't, I, I remember there is one, but now I can't remember what it is, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> good. So are you ready? Yes. Okay. What are your plans for the next coming two years? Uh, the next coming two years, I'll continue to do fun things with my family, travel in Japan, um, and see places in Japan I've never seen make new friends and nurture the relationships with my friends and and family that I already have and to build world tree um, to make it a a business that continues to be something that brings me joy and and connection with others. Can you tell us a bit more about world trees? Sure. Sure. So my um, business is world tree coaching, life coaching for expats. Mm -hmm. And I provide support services for expats, um, and do one-on-one coaching and 
one of my favorite programs that I do is a mantra builder program and it's three sessions where I work with people to develop a personal mantra and I do that individually and in group format Mm -hmm. and I'm also a writer so I'm the author of the expat activity book which is a um, book of exercises personal development exercises for expats Mm -hmm. and that's based on my experience uh, working as a coach but also working as a as a therapist for immigrants and and I write articles for magazines and for my blog. Is there an internet resource like Skype that you found useful in your nomadic life? Mm-hmm. Well, of course, Skype and FaceTime. Um, you know, Facebook gets a bad rap, but I can't imagine not having it, to be honest. Um, and in Instagram for sharing photos. Okay. And yeah. Okay. You mentioned your book. I would love to put the link on our page, the Sunot page of this episode. Okay. Uh, what is the title of your book? The full title is The Expat Activity Book, 20 Personal Development Exercises for Gaining Insight and Maximizing Your Potential Wherever You Are. Wonderful. And is there another book you would recommend for Tandem Nomads? Mm, you know, my all-time favorite book that I think is a great fit for expats is um, John Kabat-Zinn's Wherever You Go, There You Are. Wherever It's... You Go, There You Are? Yes. Okay, wonderful. And what is the best way to reach you if you want to know more about you or user services? Mm-hmm. Um, you can email me at jody at worldtreecoaching.com or find me on Facebook or Twitter at worldtreecoach. Great. Nomad Nation, you will find all these information on the show notes page of this episode. And Jody, I really want to thank you for sharing your experience here. Um, you have a, a very inspiring story and thank you so much. Thank you, Amel. It was a lot of fun. If you are an expat partner traveling and moving from a country to another with your family, and if you would like to join and chat and communicate with other expat partners around the world and support each other in the challenges of relocation, then I highly invite you to join us on Facebook in the private Facebook group. You just have to go to facebook.com, search for Tandem Nomads. You will find the Facebook page. I invite you to like it and you will also find the Tandem Nomads Facebook group. Go to facebook.com and join the Facebook group Tandem Nomads.